Chapter Seven of the Lost Parchment by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven: A Nine Days Wonder. The information concerning the vicar's violent death was so extraordinary and so wholly unexpected that Rupert could not believe it to be entirely true. However, Mrs. Beetson's tempestuous announcement spoiled his breakfast, and leaving the meal unfinished, the squire hurried down to the village. Here everything was in a state of commotion, as it was rarely that so untoward an event disturbed the placidity of barship. No one, from the flying rumors Hindel gathered during his progress, appeared to be acquainted with the exact facts of the case. Some said that Mr. Lee had committed suicide. Others, that a burglar, surprised at midnight, had struck the blow. While a few declared that the vicar was only wounded and would recover. But when Hindle reached the untidy house, he learned from the tearful Mrs. Jabber that the information was only too true. Mr. Lee, with a nasty ragged wound on his right temple, had been found dead in his study at seven o'clock in the morning. And Kinsick, the village constable, was already on the premises looking into the matter along with Dr. Tollert. The two, it seemed, had arrived simultaneously, Kinsett having picked up the doctor on the road. "'And you could have knocked me down with a feather when them two walked in,' wailed Mrs. Jabber, who was all rags and tears, me expecting to be taken to jail straight off, though being, as you may guess, sir, as innocent as newborn infants. Ten o'clock was the hour as me and Jabber went to bed,' as I can take my affidavit in any court of law. And never a sound or a whisper did we hear, both being heavy sleepers. And when I come with a duster and a broom into the library to clean it up for the day, there I sees that blessed man lying on the floor under his writing table, bleeding like a pig, face downward. As you may think, sir, I went white and felt my innards quaking. As I said to Jabber when we took something strong later to keep our legs from giving way, I hollered and Jabber come to see if I was in a fit. Then says he, this is murder, and runs out to shriek for the police, which is here with Dr. Tollert, hardly sober if you can believe me, sir. And that's the Bible truth of the whole thing as I'd swear on my mother's corpse, though she's been an angel these many years. And what'll happen to me and Jabber, ended the good lady, dissolving in many tears, is more than I can say, having no gift in profits. Considering her prolixity, Mrs. Jabber's account was fairly clear, and the chubby policeman was inclined to believe that she spoke the truth. He informed the squire that he had already sent to Tarhaven for his inspector, and that Dr. Tollert was examining the body with a view to learning the exact cause of death. "'Though to be sure, sir, that isn't hard to see,' said Kensick, who was of a more chatty disposition than his position warranted. "'There's a knock on the head as in kill a navi.' much less a delicate gentleman as we know Mr. Lee always was. 
He was struck down by a loaded cane or a bludgeon. Unexpected alike, if my experience goes for anything. But who on earth could have murdered him, Kensick? asked Rupert, greatly puzzled. Mr. Lee was such a harmless man and had no enemies. Perhaps a burglar, sir, suggested the constable wisely. But who would commit a burglary here, said Rupert, looking round the entrance hall where they were standing. There is nothing to carry off except books, and no man would risk a rope round his neck for such antique rubbish. True enough, Mr. Hindle. And knowing that he had nothing worth stealing, Mr. Lee never bothered himself to lock up the house at night. There's no catches to speak of on the windows, and the bolts of the doors ain't up to much. Anyone could walk in and walk out at any time without trouble, as he did. Oh, then you think the assassin was a man? Well, sir, I don't suppose a female would come along assaulting people with blows on the back of the head. To be sure, there's Miss Sophie Tollert, who's a suffragist, mused the constable. But Mr. Lee never argued with her over them votes for women, as I've ever heard. In spite of the seriousness of the case, Hindle could not help smiling. I think we can acquit Miss Tollert, Kensett, he observed. The militant suffragist destroys property and not human beings. Ah, here is the doctor. Well? Tollert emerged into the hall as the squire spoke, but did not seem to be over-eager to reply. He was a tall, bulky man with a large, red, perspiring face, eyes like poached eggs, and a loose mouth suggestive of the hard drinker. As Mrs. Jabber had hinted, he had already had his morning dram, and his wits seemed to be muddled. Not at all the man, as Rupert thought with some disgust, to examine a murdered fellow mortal's remains. Phew! Isn't it hot, Hindle? he remarked, mopping his streaming face with a dingy handkerchief. That in there, he jerked his head towards the study, will have to be buried pretty smart. It won't keep long. The sooner he's under the ground, the better. He won't be put underground, said Kensick, smartly. The Lees have their family vault, you know, doctor. Well, well, vault or grave, the weather's too hot to keep the thing sweet, was Tollert's unpleasant reply. Nice business, isn't it, Hindel? I always thought that the old man would be knocked on the head. Why? asked the squire, and Kensick looked the same question. Why? Tollert leaned against the pile of books near the wall, as his constant nipping made him shaky on his ponderous legs. Why, because he never locked up the house, and it stands away from the village in quite a lonely fashion. Anyone could break in here, or rather walk in, as Lee never bothered about bolts and bars. There was nothing to guard, Tollert. I don't think it was worth any burglar's while to risk his neck for nothing. The man who downed Lee was of a different opinion, said Tollert grimly. Do you think a burglar killed him, sir? asked Kensick anxiously. Who else? But Mrs. Jabber says there is nothing missing. Isn't there? 
How does she know? Anyhow, his papers and books are all turned topsy-turvy. The burglar had a good hunt for loot, anyhow. The room is rather in a mess, observed Kensick thoughtfully. It always was in a mess, said Rupert with a shrug. When did the death take place, doctor? Judging from the condition of the corpse, I should say at eleven o'clock last night, Hindle. Did you see any stranger about the village when you were on your rounds last night, Kensick? Not a soul, sir, but at eleven o'clock, Kensick reflected for a moment, I was at the other end of the village. But when I passed the vicarage about ten, there was no one to be seen and nothing suspicious visible. The gate was open, as usual, and the door, I expect, was simply jammed to, as it usually was. Mrs. Jabber saw the vicar last, just before she went to bed with her husband at ten o'clock, and she left him busy at his writing and books, as usual. I suppose the blow on the head killed him, sir. Partly it was the blow on the head, and partly heart disease, mumbled Tollert staring at the two men with a glazed eye. Lee never was very strong, and I always told him to take care of his heart. I never knew it was weak, observed Rupert, and he could not have thought so himself as he was contemplating an expedition to Central America. Sheer madness, muttered Tollert. However, he's gone on a longer journey now, Handel. Kensick, when is your inspector coming? I expect him here every moment, sir. Well, the sooner he comes, the better, as that corpse must be screwed down without delay. Have the inquest this afternoon, if you can. It will be a mere formality, as the cause of death is apparent enough. There, you won't want me here now. I'll be at home at one if the inspector from Tarhaven wants me, Kensick. Meanwhile, I'm off to get a drink. Thirsty weather, and the doctor stumbled away in a hurry to get some beer. I don't think the weather makes much difference to the doctor's thirst, sir, said Kensick disapprovingly, and his chubby face looked severe. However, it ain't any of my business, Mr. Hindle. You'll excuse me, sir, but I'll go and see that no one enters that library. Nothing must be touched until my inspector sees the room. You haven't any idea as to who killed Mr. Lee, sir? Not the least idea, replied Rupert, lingering at the hall door. I saw the vicar the night before last when he dined with me, and yesterday morning I called to see him on my way to London. So Mrs. Jabber said, and she said also, sir, that you said you'd call in the evening. I did, but did not. Rupert hesitated for Kensick was looking at him keenly. I really hadn't very much to say to him, and intended to call this morning. Do you know if he expected visitors, sir? No, he made no mention to me of expecting any. Then it was a burglar, declared Kensick positively. Hendel shrugged his shoulders. I don't see what there was to steal, he replied carelessly and then he went away after leaving a message that he would like to interview the Tarhaven inspector when he was at leisure. There was a crowd round the rickety gate, now closed for the first time for many years, but a policeman, summoned by Kensick from a neighboring village, was on guard, 
and would not allow anyone to enter. He saluted Rupert as he passed out, and the young man mechanically touched his hat in response. Down the road he came suddenly upon old Titus Ark, who was ruminating against a stone wall, looking more prehistoric than ever. The ancient grunted as the young squire sauntered along thoughtfully in the blazing sunshine and raised a snarled hand to his battered hat. Considering that he was Lee's bodyguard, who followed him everywhere like a dog, Hindle expected to find the old man tearful with the weakness of age, but Titus was smiling in a way which showed his toothless gums and piped out an ordinary greeting, quite oblivious of the tremendous event which was disturbing the village. "'Morning, squire,' said Ark, with his usual grunt. "'Fine weather for them crops, I do think. Har, har, har.' Rupert stopped to rebuke this levity. "'Don't you know that Mr. Lee is dead?' "'Oh, no, he bain't dead,' said the ancient easily. "'A knock on the head don't settle such as he.' "'Nonsense, man. Why, the vicar was extremely weak, and a mere tap would settle him. What are you talking about?' "'About Mr. Lee, har, har, har. He ain't dead. I've seen him dead afore, but he never come my way for the burying, squire.' "'He'll come your way this time, Titus, I am afraid,' replied Rupert, wondering why the old man was so stubborn. He surmised that, as Lee, according to the doctor, had heart disease, he must have fainted at times in Ark's presence, which would account for the sexton's saying he had seen him dead. "'I suppose you don't know who murdered him?' "'He bain't murdered, squire. "'Then you don't know who struck him?' said Hindle amending his question. Nah, Muster Lee, he said good-bye to me last night at six when he left Mrs. Patton's, who is my dadder. She's taken a turn for the better. I'm glad to hear it, Titus. Did Mr. Lee say if he expected any visitor last night? Nah, said the ancient again. He now were told not to I, squire. You can ask him himself when he comes alive again. Plainly, Ark declined to believe that his lifelong friend was dead, and it seemed useless to impress him with the undoubted fact. He complained that the policeman would not allow him to enter the vicarage, and that no one would take any notice of his protestations that Lee was not dead. Rupert, although in a hurry to return to his unfinished breakfast, stayed to persuade Titus to take a more reasonable view of the situation. Dr. Tollert says that Mr. Lee has passed away. Besides, the knock on the head, he had heart disease, and either the one or the other was enough to kill him. Dr. Tollert grunted Ark stolidly. He be better with beer than with curing folk. I never heard tell as Mr. Lee had heart badness. He be alive, I tell ye, squirr. Well... Titus, have your own way, but it will be your duty within a couple of days, if not less, seeing that the weather is hot, to put our late vicar in his family vault. Oh, I'll put him there, squire, but he bain't dead for all that, har, har, har. With another shrug, Rupert passed on and returned to the big house to find Dorinda. She greeted him hastily, 
and appeared to be very dismayed at the dreadful news of the vicar's murder. "'Who could have hurt him, Rupert?' she asked again and again. "'He had no enemies. He would not have harmed a fly.' "'I'm sure I can't tell you, dear. Kensick seems to think that it was a burglar did the trick.' "'But there was nothing in the vicarage to rob,' protested Dorinda. "'Just what I say. However, some burglar from London might have believed that Lee was a miser and had treasure. Has any stranger from London been seen about the village?' "'No, Kensick can't make head nor tail of it,' Rupert shook his head and thought for a moment." Unless some very startling evidence turns up, Dorinda, I don't believe that the truth will ever become known. What does your father say, dear? Nothing. You know father did not care much for Mr. Lee. He told me that he was sorry, but that Lee was a fool, or he would have locked up his house regularly every night. Your father hasn't much sympathy, Dorinda. He never has. You know how badly he thinks of everyone. What is to be done about the murder, Rupert? The inspector from Tarhaven is coming today, and he will arrange for an inquest this afternoon or tomorrow. Upon what evidence is obtainable will depend the next step. I expect the body, Dorinda quivered and turned pale, will be buried almost immediately. Why? Don't they keep bodies a week? Sometimes, but in this case, Tollert says that the sooner poor Lee is buried, the better. The corpse, Rupert hesitated, won't keep. Oh, don't. Dorinda made a wry face. Poor Mr. Lee. He was such a good man, Rupert, who inherits his books, which are all he has left. I think there's a distant cousin of sorts, a ship captain. He won't benefit much by Lee's death. I wonder if the old man made a will. Oh, yes, he told me a year ago that he had, but did not mention to whom he left his library. You are the executor. Am I, indeed? That is news to me, as Lee never asked my permission. However, Hendel was thinking of the probability of his ancestor's will being among the papers and books it is just as well under the circumstances. What do you mean by that? Hindle tugged at his mustache and replied in an embarrassed fashion. Oh, nothing. Only I can look after things better than a stranger, you know. By the way, Dorinda, I forgot to tell you that Carrington is coming down by the midday train. Coming again so soon, said Dorinda, remembering her father's warnings against the barrister. And why? Only about some business I went up to town about yesterday, answered Rupert confusedly. Will you walk with me to the station to meet him? No, said the girl promptly. I don't want to meet Mr. Carrington again. I don't like him overmuch. Ah, uh, you've been listening to your father, dear. Mullen likes no one. I saw Mr. Carrington myself, Rupert, and I didn't like him. I don't require my father to judge for me. What a spitfire you are, laughed Hendel, putting his arm round her waist. Because I want you all to myself, and I think Mr. Carrington is not a good friend for you? Jealous. 
sensible there rupert don't worry me she slipped out of his arms much to his surprise and he showed his feelings so visibly that she colored i am rather out of sorts this morning she said hurriedly father has been rather trying never mind dear in a month you will be with me forever i hope so sighed dorinda but somehow this death of the vicar suggests to me the possibility that something will occur to prevent our marriage oh nonsense rupert stared what could prevent our marriage it's only a feeling persisted dorinda and i dare say it is a foolish silly feeling but it's here for all that and she laid her hand on her heart rupert took as much pains to argue away this fancy as he had done to argue away the fancy of titus ark but dorinda was quite as stubborn in her belief that evil fortune was coming to prevent the marriage as the sexton was that lee was alive finally because rupert laughed at her she parted from him rather irritated at the corner where he branched off to the station road she would not even look back when her lover went away and rupert walked on to meet carrington with the reflection that women are kittle cattle as the scotch say as a rule dorinda was amiable and calm so it seemed strange that she should be so easily annoyed this morning but there was a reasonable excuse after all as hendel concluded since the girl always having been markedly friendly with the vicar the poor man's violent death naturally shocked and upset her greatly moreover the heartless comments which mullen the cynic was more than likely to make assuredly would add to dorinda's distress by the time he reached the station, Rupert had explained away to his own satisfaction the unusual emotion of the girl. True to his promise, Carrington arrived by the midday train and hopped out onto the platform as lively as a cricket. In gray flannels, a straw hat, and brown shoes, the barrister looked handsome, well-bred, and very much alive. The sight of his keen face and intelligent dark eyes comforted Hendel, as he knew that Carrington, if anyone, would be helpful in the matter of the vicar's mysterious murder. "'Here you are, and here I am, Hendel,' cried the new arrival briskly, as he gave up his ticket and walked out of the station along with the squire. "'I say, old chap, you're worrying considerably over this will business.' There's a drawn, tired look on your face, which shows that you haven't slept a wink. Well, I didn't have a particularly restful night, admitted the other with a sigh, and what has happened this morning doesn't help to make me feel any happier, Carrington. Eh? What? The barrister stopped. Then Lee has found the will, and Lee is dead, Hendel informed him abruptly. Dead? Carrington stared. Dead? What are you talking about? About what has happened, replied the other heavily. Lee was found dead in his study this morning. Carrington looked at Hendel doubtfully. You are pulling my leg, he said in a disbelieving tone. I don't pull people's legs over such a serious matter. I tell you positively that the vicar is dead. 
All the village is in commotion. Dead, repeated Carrington once more as they moved on toward Barship. The unexpected has happened with a vengeance. Well, well, he wasn't young and looked like a delicate man who would pop off at any moment. This death has nothing to do with delicacy, Carrington. Lee has been murdered. Oh, Lord! Man of the world as he was, Carrington received a shock. Poor old chap! Murdered! What a beastly thing to happen! Who murdered him? No one knows. The police are looking into the matter now. He was found dead in his study at seven this morning, and there is a wound on the right temple. So far, the only conclusion arrived at is that someone tried to rob the house, and being discovered, struck Lee down. I can't see that there was anything in the house worth a burglar committing such a crime for, remarked Carrington, taking off his hat. There wasn't. No one in the village would have attempted a burglary, since Lee was known to be very poor. Besides, Lee was too popular for anyone to hurt him, but a stranger... Ah, broke in Carrington swiftly, a stranger. Has any stranger been seen hovering about the vicarage? No, Kensick, our village policeman, was on his rounds as usual last night, but declares that he saw no one. But some tramp... No tramps have been hanging around the village of late. Carrington looked puzzled. It seems to be a mystery. At what time was the poor chap murdered? No one knows, but Dr. Tollert thinks the blow was struck about eleven o'clock last night. Has the weapon been found? No. Did that housekeeper hear any noise? No, nothing was known of the murder until she found her master dead near his writing table. The inspector has been sent for to Tarhaven and will be here shortly. Indeed, I expect he is here now. He will take charge of the house and look into the matter. Hmm, remarked the barrister thoughtfully. As I said before, it seems to be a mystery. This inspector will take charge of all Lee's books and papers, I suppose. Yes, why not? Oh, I am not saying against his handling them, but the will. The will, yes. Can't you see, Hendel, if this inspector looks through the papers left by Lee, which he probably will, he is bound to come across that hundred-year-old testament you mentioned yesterday. Rupert winced. I expect he will, unless poor Lee has so carefully mislaid it that it cannot be found. But what if he does? Well, but then all the fat will be on the fire, said Carrington with an air of finality. I suppose you mean that the will must be made public. Why not? If it is a legitimate document, Mullen must get the money, and if it isn't, my position remains unchanged. In any case, whether Lee lived or died, what he discovered would have to be shown all round. Quite so. But you didn't want it to be shown all round until you looked into the matter privately along with me, argued Carrington quickly. True enough. I should like to have seen the document before Mullen became aware that it existed. However, as things stand, the will is bound to be found, and Mullen is bound to know. 
we must thresh out the matter openly straightway and i shall do my best to avoid trouble i don't see how you can avoid it hendel mullen is not the man to let a chance of getting a fortune go i am sure he isn't retorted the squire positively and he is certain to make things as disagreeable for me as possible but if i surrender the property should the will prove to be legal i don't see that he can worry me you will lose everything warned the barrister significantly unfortunately yes including miss mullen i suppose so admitted the squire reluctantly even if she remains true to me as i'm sure she will i can't ask her to marry me on nothing a year there was silence for a few minutes as the two men walked into the village and it was carrington who spoke first i'm awfully sorry for you old man i'm rather sorry for myself however what must be must be so there's no more to be said by the way dorinda told me that lee had made me his executor i never knew that he had until she told me lee took your friendship for granted it seems who inherits i don't know his sole relative is a sea captain somewhere in australia i have heard him speak of the young fellow a cousin of sorts as the last of the lees there isn't much to leave in the way of property so you are the executor murmured carrington thoughtfully in that case you will have the handling of the papers and may be able to get possession of the will before the inspector lays hands on it what good will that do asked hendel irritably you can suppress the will i shouldn't think of doing such a thing you'll lose all if the will proves to be genuine carrington warned him then i must lose all that's quisonic so you said yesterday but i mean to be honest and again there was silence carrington secretly considering his friend an honorable ass End of chapter 7